Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. He's Andrew P. Shea. Andy, we have a fun show scheduled for today. You and I have a couple fun topics. Then, of course, in quarter number three, we're going to take our listener questions. We're going to do Ask Andy. And in quarter number four, we're going to have a special guest in, and again, from For the Bloggy, Shane Paul. If you recall, a few weeks ago, we did an analysis of the T formation, and also, Mike Yersich introduced this year that diamond formation. Well, Shane Paul has reviewed it, wrote a nice article on ForTheBloggy.com, and he's going to be on in quarter four to tell us more about that. But you and I, Andrew P., we've got our own topics to deal with. And here's my question for quarter number one. As you look sure. at this roster, who are the underrated players? Who are those guys? They're not getting the ink. They're not getting the publicity that everybody else is. And I'd like to get a couple guys' names from you on each side of the ball. As always, let's start on the offensive side. Who are your underrated players there? So I have two on the offensive side of the ball. And I think you'll find the interesting, the reasons interesting. I hope you do at least. You and... Those of you out there, my first one is Theo Johnson. I think Theo Johnson is a little bit underrated. Why? Because he was always, pretty much from the first time he stepped on the field, you could see he was going to be a next level or potential monster as a pass catcher. You could just see it. Like he's a matchup nightmare waiting to happen at the tight end position as a pass catcher. He wasn't what I would call an unwilling blocker but he wasn't very good at that craft. And in my honest opinion, he has become a much more capable and willing blocker. And that has changed his overall game so much, right? Now, Brenton Strange turned into a freak. And Johnson, along with being a little bit banged up last year, he sort of fell into the shadows a bit, right? But I still never forgot the progress he'd made as a blocker and that potential that always exists as a nightmare pass catcher because of the matchup. I think he's approaching uh, the Brenton Strange level when I look at the tight end position. I see it as a strength in numbers, but I also see Johnson as becoming the next level elite tight end that could really, really have an impact on this offense. I think for that reason, for me, he is underrated. I still like the strength of numbers in the tight end room, but I'm singling him out. What are you Andy, showing I'm holding up my notes to show you a couple of the names that I wrote down. Prominent right there, Theo Johnson. I, f- I feel exactly like you did. I will add one, one other point there with Theo Johnson. He was nicked up early in the season, I believe. Yep. And I think that allowed Brenton Strange to kind of, I know Brenton Strange came into it listed as number one, but it really gave him the opportunity to solidify that. And I don't think Theo Johnson, I don't want to say he didn't fully recover from that, but 
he stayed one step behind Brenton Strange. Next year, he's obviously obviously the number one guy. I think he'll be a matchup nightmare for defenses, and I think he's going to have a, a really breakout season. So good call. Who else do you have on the offensive side? So this one I think is a – I don't know if you'll have this one or not. Do you have Landon Tangwall on your list? My goodness, Andy, we have been together for too long because okay. you and I, we do the same. <laughs> we're coming up with the same names. Go ahead. I'll let you evaluate them, though. So this is why I think he's underrated because he stepped in as a first-year starter uh, at left guard alongside Olu at left tackle. But he only played for five games, and then he had a you know debilitating injury. And after – while the, the offensive line didn't become a problem because they lost Landon Tangwell, and then Olu got hurt later in the year, and then it was a completely reshuffled left side. But if you think and look back and watch, which I did, those two together through the five games, they were a good duo, and actually Landon was playing at a really high level on his own when I just focused on him. He had surgery in the offseason. He's going to be coming back off, off injuries, and – Five games is only a a, a limited amount, but in those five games, he was truly outstanding at the left guard position. And actually the two of them, knowing what you knew at the end, and then you look back at the beginning when you didn't really know, and you were like, oh, okay, these two are really freaking good. Um, It's a limited body of work, his five games, and the long haul still matters to me. You can't just do five games and and be completely underrated, but... I think in a in ways a, a a little healthier coming off an injury, however that looks like, and it's different for everybody. Whatever that is, along with Olu on his left, the left side of that offensive line has really explosive potential. And I think it's not because of the the shining bright star at left tackle. He will do what he is supposed to do. I think the the real strength of the duo comes from. Landon playing left guard and being healthy and available. That is why, to me, he got my second call. I like the call. I'll just add this, Andy. I believe he was the one who got injured pre-game, and some of us were a little taken aback by that. How do you get injured pre-game stretching? And But I believe he actually may have been nicked up even prior to that point. And it was just finally that was the breaking point for him. But again, I think it's a theme in my list is guys are either coming off injuries or being nicked up and kind of get forgotten. I'm going to throw one last name out there real quick before we okay. move to the defense, and that's Hunter Norzad. And I think he he gets forgotten in the shuffle, but he's going to be apparently moving over to center. And we it was very quiet with Juice there playing center all of last year. Now Hunter Norzad, that's pretty big shoes for him to fill there and changing positions. But I think he's been a little bit of a forgotten guy. Let's go to the defensive side, Andy. And who do you have back there as your underrated players? It it starts with Curtis Jacobs for me. It is just it, he's vastly underrated, not by anybody else, not by us. I just think his value is underrated. I don't think he is underrated. I just think his value is underrated. 52 tackles, third on the team. Seven and a half TFLs, four sacks, 12 games. 
very solid at a new position for him. He had to be disciplined and outstanding to provide some cover to unleash the beast that is Abdul Carter. That's just my two cents. He needed the most work going into it at his new position against the run. And remember two years ago, he had a limited explosive role off the edge, and that was not going to be a top priority in his new role. He still would do some of it, but that wasn't going to be a priority. He had to be a more complete linebacker overall, particularly against the run. He had to be clean, and by doing what your job is, what his job was, that allowed others to shine and for this defense to function better. Nobody did that better than Curtis Jacobs. He was very good in short coverage areas to the wide areas of field. He wasn't nearly as flashy as he was two years ago, and he didn't jump out to you. But underneath it all, he was so much better overall as a player, and his value proposition to me is through the roof. Here is my theme on defense. Guys, players are underrated who were overshadowed by other players. I had Curtis Jacobs on my list, and I think he became underrated because of Abdul Carter being there. Abdul Carter was the shiny new toy, an incredible player. Curtis Jacobs had to move positions to allow for Abdul Carter, as you said, to shine. Unleash the beast. And it's... He got forgotten a bit because of that, but a very good player. Okay, Andy, who else do you have on your all-underrated defense? Oh, I had to dig. I was digging for this one, and I looked around, and you know who I landed on? It was Adisa Isaac. So coming off of injury, and he missed a whole year, right? He was way, way better against the run overall, and – That speaks volumes to me. 11 tackles for a loss. He led the team. So he only had four sacks, and we know about that first step. I think his sack number needs to go up. He got closer as the year went on, and he he made progression. He, He led the team with eight quarterback hurries. So that means he's closer. He just wasn't quite finishing as often. But I think coming off an injury in a whole year, that first step needs to go maybe one more level up from this year. Um if it, that happens, to me, he's approaching elite. He quietly played faster and faster and faster as the season went along. Look, Chop Robinson's the darling, and that is for a reason, right, Jimmy? That is for a very good reason. But I think of the two defensive ends that Penn State has, in my opinion, Adisa Isaac is the more complete of the two right now. And Everyone wants to talk about Chop Robinson for the right reasons, but the more complete one, in my opinion, is Adisa Isaac, and that's why he's underrated. I'm laughing here, Andy, because again, we we came up with our names separately, okay? Correct. I have Adisa Isaac also down on my list, Interesting. and I he's there for a couple reasons similar. He's coming off injury. You know, this is similar to some of the other names I had. I also have Chop Robinson listed under there as just like Abdul Carter overshadowed Curtis Jacobs. I think Chop Robinson, you know, overshadowed Disa Isaac also because we all want. I love Chop Robinson. I'm, you know, head of his fan club. Man crush. Man crush there. Exactly. I think he's phenomenal. But part of that is you give attention to Chop Robinson, you forget about Adisa Isaac. 
continuing that theme, I'm going to give that one more bonus name because I got to give at least one player that you didn't have on your list, Andy, on this side of the ball. And I'm going to put out there Johnny Dixon. Oh, good call. He was overshadowed by Joey Porter Jr. and Kalen King, two phenomenal players. But when Joey Porter Jr. went down with injury and we had to have Johnny Dixon out there, you know what? It was still a pretty good tandem. But remember in the Rose Bowl when Kalen King had to step out momentarily and we had another cornerback in there, that's when they got burned. We didn't have that kind of moment, though, with Kalen King and Johnny Dixon on the field for the last three or four games. You're so, right. And plus, Johnny Dixon showed he could also attack the quarterback when yes, you allow can. him to blitz from that position. And you know what? You'll always get a gold star from me if you start hitting quarterbacks from the defensive side, Andy. All right, that is it for quarter number one. Stick around. We got lots more to talk about in quarter number two. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions' soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at keystonesportsnetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with Andrew P. Shea and it is quarter number two of our show. Andy, we didn't do a news and notes segment this week. Not a lot of news, but probably the biggest news over the last week or so was, again, the announcement that they're going to make some enhancements to the stadium. Uh, We heard this same thing five years ago, 
and maybe we'll hear it again in five years. Maybe one of these days we'll actually see something happen. I think when we look at this, and the first question was always enhancement of Beaver Stadium versus building new. I don't think there was stomach for new stadium. I haven't heard anybody say that was the direction they wanted to go. So when we started hearing, okay, it's going to be enhancements to Beaver Stadium, I don't think it shocked anybody that that would be the direction that they were going. But that leads us to the question. If they're going to enhance this stadium, what do you want to see them do to it? So it's interesting. A lot of what you've heard in the last you know, decade or so about Beaver Stadium was sort of like, expansion or you know growth of the stadium this is pure enhancement so if i was thinking of enhancements i have i have a several things on my list at the top of my list is i i don't have what i don't know what the answer is but somehow make it look a little less like an erector set from the outside right it, it's an eyesore visually that's just it is it's just it's an ugly duckling. It It's a beautiful, great atmosphere for college football. If you could just shut your eyes and get to the inside and get to the crazy part that happens, especially during a whiteout, if you can do all of that, I don't know if you drape around it and cover up, you know, all of the underneath that shows and it's exposed. I don't know all the engineering things around that, but you have to be able to do something so that it just doesn't look like, it was built in 12 phases, which it kind of was. Um, so whatever you have to do outside of it, from the outside, you know, from the parking lot and the tailgate areas, just so it looks a little bit less like you're looking inside of a Lego building, just whatever you have to do to cover that up, or I'm not saying, you know, put bricks and stack bricks and make it look like a beautiful brick because that's going to be expensive. Something to make it, not quite so much of an eyesore visually. That would be at the top of my list. I I think that's a pretty good call, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did do some kind of brick or stonework outside. You know, they've done a couple of those kind of things to enhance the stadium over the years. But, Andy, if you did that, what you could also do is create more things you could add on to the stadium. And by that, it's like, can you put in you know, restaurants or food courts or things like that um, on that first floor, maybe just beyond the stadium, but then wall it in to make it part of the stadium. So it's interesting you bring that up, Jimmy, as, uh, as I will go back to quarter number one with every time I brought up somebody who was underrated, you, were strong, <laughs> they had your, you had them on the list. One of the things on my list was for the fan experience, upgrade the concession facilities. They're, they're baldly basic, and we're both almost bald, and we know what that means. <laughs> I, I, personally, I don't have a problem with basic, but in 2023 in the fan experience and how easy it is to get access to seeing games now. Going to the stadium is actually the cool thing, not being able to, you know, you can see the game at any given time. Going to the stadium is the experience. So to upgrade the fan experience in 2023 and going forward, you know, upgrade it. It's so basic. And 
it functions. It's fine. You can get a decent hot dog and a soda for $14, but there's nothing outside the box. So I'm with you for the fan experience, uh, some kind of upgrade to the concession facilities or restaurants or food court or however you do it, they need upgraded. There's no doubt that would be uh, an enhancement to the stadium. And as I said, it kind of could be a two in one thing where you're adding that stuff like attached to the stadium and then make that exterior nicer. Let's talk about inside the stadium itself. They've, they've got to take care of some of the basics. We know that there are infrastructure issues. There are plumbing issues, restroom issues. They've got to take care of those things. It almost goes without saying those, those are items. Those the list of wishes, yeah. What, what about putting in um, actual seats as opposed to bleachers? Yeah, so I think you look at what I would, if I'm Penn State, and you're looking at what you're going to do. So um, look at what the Rose Bowl did and follow that model, right? They still have some, but they got rid of some and added benchbacks. See what that looks like. Mix and match it a little bit more. Look at what the Rose Bowl did and how when they when they enhanced the Rose Bowl itself. Now, obviously, they have a very large pool of money to, to, to dig from. But the way they did it, it was absolutely outstanding. Do you have to do it exactly like them? No. But they provide a good sort of lead model to help you get some ideas going. But I think the metal bench thing, while it was cool up until about, you know, a while ago, it's just not cool anymore. Everyone's sitting on a metal bench. Figure out a way to make that better. That is definitely one of the high priority things for me is you have to if you sit up top, you get a better seat than if you're down close. One of the things I want to mention with that, and well, first of all, Andy, I think for the student section, you got to leave it bleachers. Leave it. Yep. Leave it. Cram as many in. Two issues, though, that I believe we got to be aware of when we're talking about putting in uh, the seat backs or the chairs in place of bleachers. One is... I thought this could be a very easy, inexpensive fix. You unscrew the bleacher, you take it off, you put the the chairs in. Not the case necessarily. I talked to a member of the Board of Trustees. In fact, he was on our show, and we talked about this. And the issue is the uh, floor, the cement that the bleachers are attached to, each step is not wide enough for seat backs, for chairs as opposed to the bleachers. So this is not, you know, surface minor surgery. It could end up being major surgery to do. Yeah, that's why I say you look at a combination of mix and match because I know structurally it's not built for seat, 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 and seat. For everyone to get a seat with a nice cup holder and the cup holder in front of you, that's not the way it's built. I think you have to mix and match some. And some areas might have to be reconstructed to fit seats only. And is there an option to, you know, enhance the benching rather than just the steel metal bench that you get at a high school game? That's literally all it is. And that was cool for an era. But if you're going to do enhancements and you're going to talk enhancements, this is one of them. I didn't say get rid of all the bleachers and add seats. That's why I said you have to mix and match because there's, there's some, there's some tricky waters for them to navigate, and the Rose Bowl had to navigate the same thing. 
Well, I think what it would end up doing is, like you said, maybe they do sections of it, and you could bet right. then there'll be premium 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 pricing for for it also andy but it does also bring up one other issue if you talk about uh doing any of that the chairs do take up more space that means are we actually going to see a reduction in seating now overall college football in all sports that is going on because as you said the um, the experience at home with your TV has improved so much. Correct. It's hard to get as many people. So might we see this 107,000 seat capacity change into 90,000 seat capacity? I think you can lose. So, yeah, it's a really good question. So how much of your ego is tied to the 107,000? And we have, I, I don't think. I don't think you're servicing 107,000 well. Can you service 87,000 or 92,000 better through the enhancement? I think that is definitely will be a discussion that is on the table because it just the value proposition of saying, well, we you can say, okay, we're going to increase from 107 to 112. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter if people don't care because the experience stinks. You know, you're paying $17 for a hot dog and a soda and a bag of chips. And that's, you know, that's all your options. It's the experience that matters. And I think Penn State will look at that on the numbers, on on how they look at the numbers. But I agree with you. Less could be more, right? Less could be more. And that is the take in general in sports. In sports, yep. A better, smaller facility puts a more of a premium on the tickets. You could charge more. The issue, and again, small sample, as uh, you recall, Andy, and I hope our listeners recall, we had a handful of uh, board of trustee members on where we had this conversation, and the consistent theme seemed to be we pride ourselves in the 107,000. Oh, no. So that's what we would like to keep that. It, I believe it will be a difficult process to do. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. The other thing when you're talking inside that I wanted to bring up quick is please dear, you know, just don't, don't ever think of anything but grass. And I don't think they will, but I think they need to add more color to the stadium when they do the enhancements on the inside. Like it's just so bland, like your railings and your seats and your bleachers. You can do stuff to make it look better when you're, when you're, when it's, you know, when it's empty, it looks like, it just looks like crap, right? That's, there's no other way to put it. There's a lot you can do to add color to that stadium. Blue and white looks good together. Look, you got your blue and white sweatshirt on. Blue and white look good together. Make blue and white, the in, make the inside of that stadium look good with blue and white. And there's a lot of ways to do it. I can picture that as as a less expensive upgrade that is that absolutely isn't to the eye is a little bit of a game changer. That's just me. And of course there will always be the conversation about do they put in more suites? Do they do that on the press yeah. box side? Replace the press box. And I'll tell you, yeah. we had a guest on a a, a Penn State uh, a beat writer who mentioned, you know, getting a new press box. And you know what? Our listeners, fans, they don't care. They don't. 
They don't care. So I'm not going to care about that either, Andy. What I do care about, though, is we've got Ask Andy coming up next. We're going to take your questions, and we're going to have Andrew P. Shea answer them. Stick around for that. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions' soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at keystonesportsnetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number three. That means it's time to ask Andy. This is where you send in your questions and Andrew P. Shea will answer them. Go to the App Store, download Keystone Sports. You'll see the Ask Andy button. And even better, at the end of the segment, we are going to have Andy pick out the best question, and whoever submitted that question, they get a great barbecue rub prize from 409tailgateclub.com. Definitely worth the effort, and I'm just going to give you the reminder right now, Andy, because I don't want to be blamed as one to forget. We're going to have to name our winner at the end of this segment because we've got a guest coming in from quarter number four. So the pressure will be on you, my friend. Let's start with uh, Shane in Phoenixville. Andy, with NIL, conference realignment, transfer portal, expanded playoffs, all major changes to the game, do you see any real change in who the elite teams are going to be at the top of college football? I'm getting a little tired of Alabama and Georgia, Ohio State and Clemson. 
Yeah, I'm sorry, Shane. And I'm not holistically in disagreement with you about the I'm getting tired, add four or five programs here. But I, I, I think the expansion of the playoffs will add another element to college football that we don't really know about or fully understand yet exists. But I still think at the end of the day, until you start seeing more difference in those final fours or uh, Alabama or Georgia gets knocked off in their first playoff game, if there's it's a 12-team bracket, until anything changes, the just the, the NIL, the transfer portal, all of that only adds a, a little bit of elements to help the stronger get strong. NIL is a wild card. How that shakes out in five years from now, we don't know. That could be a difference maker. I see that possibly in my mind. But until then, I'm sorry, Shane. You're just going to have to get used to it. Well, I'm going to take a little bit. Let me give you a little different take here on it, Andy. Um, I am as tired or more tired than anybody of seeing Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State at the top. But this is the nature of college football for decades. I mean, we had a decade of USC, a decade of Florida State, of Miami, Oklahoma, Texas years ago. However, the change happens slow. And I think when you're in the middle of it, you don't realize it's happening. But I will point out to you that Georgia overtook Alabama, okay? And it very quietly got over the top. Clemson, I think, is going the other direction. Ohio State... They're going back down. Ohio State, they continue to be a factor, but I'll also point out, when was the last time? Two years in a row, they did not win the Big Ten. Okay? Michigan did. Now, I realize Michigan's a blue blood, but, you know... And I mentioned, um, or I didn't mention, I'm sorry, Oklahoma was right on the cusp of that for many years. Maybe not so right now. And that's the other thing that I think that um, Shane didn't bring out. Something new happened this past year that we really hadn't seen before, which was a premium coach leaving a premium program. Right. Yeah. Lincoln Riley going to USC. Yep. And Kelly going to LSU. Uh, so, less premium to me, but eh, I don't know. Well, they, they did pretty well last year. All right, let, let's get to our next uh, question. Uh, let's go to Jimmy in Forest City who says, Dear Andy, with the emergence of Abdul Carter and Chop Robinson last year, I feel the defense was playing at the level of a top 10 defense at the end of the season. Do you expect the defense to be better or worse this coming season? Interesting question, Jimmy. A uh, good one, I might add. I would uh, counter and say I don't think it was just toward the end of the season. I think after the Michigan game, from that game forward, I think even the very next week, this defense was elite. They only grew stronger and solidified themselves even more. And I fully expect them to be better. I 100% expect them to be better. There are way too many components that had significant playing time and minutes logged in terms of players. It's the same coordinator. It's going to be 
They're literally not going to have to be putting building blocks into place. They're going to literally pick up where they left off and then build from there. They're not putting building blocks in place. They're enhancing and continuing to enhance. They have, they have the double whammy of like, oh my gosh, the potential is through the roof. Same coordinator, a ton of players back, stars who are coming back, and depth to burn. And they finished at a very, very high level from there. If if they're just as good as they were in 2022 or stay, take, take a step back, to me, that's massively disappointing on the defensive side of the ball for Penn State with what they have, who is coordinating and running it, and what they showed over a six-game stretch to me. The expectation is they absolutely should be better. They should be a top-five defense. If you say they were a top-ten defense, and I agree, this should be a top five defense in 2023. That's it. That's an expectation. It's not unrealistic either, Jimmy. I'm in agreement with you on that, Andy. I think year two, Manny Diaz, I don't think there'll be that early adjustment that was needed. I think they're going to hit the ground running. Let's go to Dan Dan and Bell Vernon, Vernon, who says, when the 12-team playoff begins, it's possible a couple teams may have to play as many as 17 games. Do you think this could eliminate conference championship games? Also, do you think this could precipitate players having greater interest in unionizing? And also, do you think the NCAA might allow teams to increase their number of scholarships as more games will likely result in more injuries? Yeah, I think What's the, the effect of a potential 17-game season, Andy? Yeah, I don't... <sighs> I hate to say it this way. This is just, I'm just going to say it. I don't think anybody cares that it's a 17 game schedule. There are concerns to be had, but I really don't think anybody cares more, more, and more. If you said right now and you said, okay, we're going to cut it and make it a 10 game schedule. That would cause way more outrage than you saying, and I know all the reasons and they're right. Health. Safety, academics, being a student, just be, I'm in agreement. But at the end of the day, I don't think people care if you say, well, we're going to go up to 17 games. They would care a lot more if you said we're going to go from 12 or 13 down to 10 or 11. That would cause more outrage than saying we're going to expand is more than less. And the, with the trajectory that college football is on and they know their audience, we just can't get enough. We, we need even more. If, if they said 18 games, we need it up. And we'd be concerned, and we would express concerns, and they would be legitimate. But at the end of the day, you're like, eh, I still get 18 games. That's good for me. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if they felt like they had to eliminate a game that they would eliminate a conference championship game. But I think it would be – they would say it's to eliminate a game, <laughs> but I think it would be more about, you know what – we don't want one of our conference teams to get another loss, which may hurt them from making the playoffs. So that might be yeah. the reason why. And if, if you remember just a few years ago, the big 12 added a conference championship game with the hope that would help them, you know, get into the playoffs. They needed that extra data point with 12 team playoffs and most conferences getting rid of divisions, Andy, those top two teams, probably the only 
way they miss a 12-team playoffs is if they get that added loss in the conference championship game. I Let's still have, sneak a, go ahead. I still have a hard time seeing them taking away the conference championship game because of the revenue it generates, the excitement it brings, and how much it has enhanced each conference. And even the SEC, which doesn't need much help enhancing, even they will are, are fully will admit that the SEC championship game has enhanced that conference greatly. I think despite the East versus West thing, I still think the Big Ten has been enhanced by having a Big Ten championship game. Other than Penn State's game with Wisconsin, you know, we don't have much to go on because they haven't been very good games. But I still think the enhancement and the revenue and the stage of a setup for the college football playoffs, it sets the stage. And that's really important. But okay, I let's sneak one in. I'm sneaking one more in quick. Jack from Lock Haven. With the addition of USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, you think we're going to see more California recruiting? Um, For the schools that already exist in the Big Ten, do I see them doing more California recruiting? I don't. I don't. I can't. It's a good question because it made me stop and think. Do I see Ohio State and Michigan enhancing their California recruiting just because USC and UCLA are in the conference now? No, because you sh- A, they're already recruiting there. B, enhance it to fight a battle. I, I fail to understand that. Like Penn State has, they're still recruiting nationally, and James does, but are you going to add recruiting resources to f- try and fight the home teams in, on their home turf? It's like, is, it's like asking, are USC and UCLA going to come to the D.C., Virginia Metroplex and New Jersey and fight Penn State and Michigan on those fronts? Are they going to go into Ohio and add more resources to recruit against Ohio State because they're joining the Big Ten? I don't really see you need to do direct enhancement for that. I, I think just naturally there'll be a little bit more because kids, not only will they see Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan playing games out there, but they'll see their – uh, they'll see those teams on TV predominantly because they're watching USC or UCLA. But I think recent hires that Penn State has made are people with uh, recruiting chops in New Jersey, in Virginia. It feels right. like they're emphasizing more regionally. Andy, we need a winner before we go on. So I thought all four questions were really good. They made me think, but the one that Got me the most fired up was Jimmy from Forest City. So congratulations, Jimmy. All righty. Jimmy is our winner. Jimmy, I'll get a hold of you. We'll get your prize pack out to you. But I want you to make sure you stay tuned for quarter number four. Shane Paul is here from For the Bloggy. A couple weeks ago, we talked T formation. Today, we're going to talk about that diamond formation. It's always an interesting conversation. You want to stay tuned for that. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. 
Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. And our real special guest from our good friends at ForTheBloggy.com, Shane Paul. Shane, a couple weeks ago, you were here talking about the T formation. This week, it's the diamond formation. Let's start with this. What exactly does the diamond formation look like? Sure thing. Uh, So as I talked about in the article a little bit, um, similar to the T formation, it is completely symmetrical. Um, If you were to draw a line down the middle of the center going through the quarterback, uh, there's equal players on both sides in theory. Where it differs from the T is that it's a little more spread out. So uh, the quarterback's in the pistol or the shotgun, which means um, he's not under center and he has to catch a snap. Um, he's going to have two H-backs or tight ends, whatever you want to call them, um, behind the guards uh, or in that area to uh, his sidecar position. Um, and then he has a tailback behind him and two receivers out wide. I found it interesting, your description. Mike Yursich did use this formation when he was at Oklahoma State but he had very different personnel there at Oklahoma State than what he has at Penn State. Yeah, 100%. So when he was at Oklahoma State, uh, they used this thing called a cowboy back, um, which a lot of people describe them as just human battering rams. Um, They were often like converted defensive linemen, um, like guys 280 plus pounds. Uh, They basically just throw them in a 40, uh, you know, 42, 43, whatever 40 number they had available. Uh, and tell them to go knock someone's head off, uh, you know, with the ISO block. Um, obviously, the personnel is a little bit different at Penn State. Um, they have more versatile tight ends that are used more so in the receiving game. Um, but they can also, you know, catch passes uh, and perform all different kinds of blocks, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but also at Oklahoma State, uh, they they like to use a three running back set. Um, not to say that Penn State doesn't have a very strong running back room, as we all know they do. Uh, but for whatever reason, uh, Coach Yersich liked to use uh, three backs in that set. Um, probably 
you know, to to threaten being able to run the ball in any direction. Um, so I could I could see that happening in the future, putting three tailbacks on the field for that in Happy Valley. But in the 22 season, what we typically saw were the two tight ends next to Sean Clifford, the running back behind him. What were the basic plays that they would run out of this formation, Shane? Yeah, so I, I think the beauty of, of what Coach Jersitz does um, is he's able to run his core concepts from a number of different formations. So they didn't run a whole lot of different plays, uh, per se, from this formation. They ran you know, their inside zone run, inside zone split, meaning um, they're going to leave a defensive end unblocked and they're going to use one of the H-backs to kick that guy out coming across the formation. Um, then they ran a lot of their counter play, which is where um, the guard's going to pull and kick out the defensive end, and then the, one of the H-backs will uh, wrap through and lead block for the running back. Well, let's talk about those uh, plays, those base plays. You also talked about the the RPO that they would run out of this, where obviously run-pass option is what RPO stands for, and there's always one player that the quarterback reads on an RPO, who does he read on that play and how does he make the decision? Right. So a lot of times when you get into these heavy sets like this, uh, where you have you know two tight ends on the field or two fullbacks, um, you're going to get single high defenses. Now this didn't happen all the time, but what that means is that there's a post safety, which means he's in the middle of the field uh, playing the post. And that then allows the defense to bring uh, one of their defensive backs now into the box uh, to help stop against the run. So that player is often referred to as the conflict defender, meaning we don't have enough guys in the the run blocking unit to account for him. So, um, you know, if we're running just an inside zone play um, in the diamond, we would have seven potential blockers, um, whereas uh, the defense would have eight guys being able to make the play. So what we do is we just RPO that guy, meaning if he wants to play the run, we'll throw a slant or a glance right behind his ear, right behind, uh, right behind his eardrum. Um, and then if he wants to drop back, we can always hand it off. Or uh, in some instances, um, we can keep the ball ourselves, which Clifford didn't love to do, um, but he did do every now and then. Well, that was one of the things that you talked about. And let, let's get to that other base play, which is a zone read, where it is set up for the running back or Sean Clifford could pull it if he's reading the defensive end correctly, right? Yeah, so zone read is just uh, – it's a pretty simple play. Run it really all aspects of college football, and you see it a lot in the NFL now too, um, to where the offensive line is going to zone block, meaning they're going to get on a track. Uh, and in, in essence, they just are in charge of an area, um, and they're going to move whatever player they can out of this area. Um, zone read is you're going to leave somebody unblocked, and you're going to read him. So if he were to crash down, pinch down, and play the run, uh, the quarterback now has an alley to keep it uh, in that vacated area. You also mentioned in your article, this I found interesting, that on the RPO play, it appeared that Sean Clifford pretty much made the read, correct read every single time where there were opportunities on the zone read running play where Sean Clifford probably could have kept the ball and run, but he gave up that opportunity. And I was interested to read that because it did seem this past season that Sean Clifford overall was kind of reluctant to pull the ball and run it himself. Yeah. Um, I think at the end of the day, he's looking at, uh, you know, who would we rather have carrying the football? Um, and, you know, where a lot of times in, in the RPO world, in the read world, your reads are going to get muddy. 
meaning the, the defensive end will try to do like a surf technique, meaning he's going to stick his arms out and try to play both of you. And, you know, w- when it gets muddy like that, I think the safe play is just to hand it off and, and let your, your five-star running backs handle that. You know, I, and also in Coach Yersich's offense, you don't want your quarterback taking a whole lot of hits. Uh, he's never really had like a true dual, a true dual threat. Um, so, you know, I'm sure, you know, in the, in the quarterback room, the coaching point is that if it's muddy, just give it uh, and we'll live to fight another down. When in doubt, yes, I think you'd rather have the running back take it. I also was intrigued when you gave one example where Drew Aller, in the same kind of situation, he didn't seem to hesitate to keep the ball himself. Yeah, hopefully we don't see too much of that next year. I think we want to keep him as healthy as possible. But when the game's on the line, you know, sometimes your quarterback's got to take, uh, got to take control. And as big as he is, he doesn't seem afraid to do that. Whenever you have these kind of formations, and we saw this a couple weeks ago when we talked T formation, is Mike Yursich seems to develop this as the season goes on, and we start to see more options out of it. And you pointed this out that it started with the tight ends on either side of the quarterback, Sean Clifford, with the running back behind him. But that started to change a bit where we'd end up with the running back at the sidecar position where the tight ends were, and they could do a few different things out of that. Right. So anytime uh, your bar, your ball carrier is directly behind you, um, that's going to almost eliminate your ability to do any sort of read play uh, with a horizontal run. Um, because if I've got to turn my back to the defense to, to give the ball off on an outside zone play, um, or anything that goes towards the perimeter. Um, obviously, you know, my eyes are on the back of my head. So now I have to read, um, you know, there's nobody to read. Uh, so the way they, the way they kind of combated this was just by you know, realigning the backfield, meaning they put one of the tight ends now behind Clifford um, and they'd realign the running back at that sidecar position. Um, so then the running back would just come directly across right in front of Clifford um, and he would be able to keep his eyes on the defense um, they were able to run plays like power read, um, which is power blocking up front, and they're going to read the defensive end. If he were to squeeze down, we'll give it. Um, if he widens out and tries to stop the perimeter run, uh, Clifford would then take it on the power run. Then I find it also interesting, again, going back with the T formation, we saw what was really a power formation, and they ended up passing the ball out of it. In this formation, we saw some of that where the tight ends who were, if you're the defense, you start to think, all right, this is a running formation. The tight ends will lead the way, the running back behind them. But because of Penn State's talent at tight end, all of a sudden there's play action and you're now throwing the ball to the tight ends. Yeah. Um, I think it opens up a, a, a large book of possibilities. Um, I know at Oklahoma State, uh, Coach Jershitz had receivers that, you know, their specialty was winning one-on-one balls. Um, and they also had a quarterback in Mason Rudolph whose specialty was throwing the deep ball. Um, so, you know, how, how we talked about earlier, how you might get a lot of single high coverage from this formation, that then creates one-on-ones on the perimeter. Um, so obviously Clifford's strength wasn't in throwing the ball down the field, throwing it 50 yards on a post or a go. Um, and we also didn't have receivers whose specialty was, you know, winning and stacking uh, defensive backs down the field. Um, we obviously have some new personnel coming in this year. Uh, and I don't know if Dante Cephas is official yet, um, but when he is, 
Um, you know, he's a guy that can make those plays down the field. And now everyone knows about the new quarterback we have whose specialty is letting it fly. So I think it'll be interesting to see how the, how the vertical pass game evolves. And you imagine that is the next iteration, what we'll see from Mike Yursage. It was fun to watch. And you highlighted this in your article. There was the, the flea flicker they actually ran out of the diamond formation where Clifford handed the ball to Singleton. Singleton pitches it back to Clifford. And I know you said, well, maybe the receiver didn't get as much separation as you would hope for, but he was open. A a good pass. They would have completed that play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it just wasn't in the, it wasn't in the cards for the offense this year, as good as they were um, throwing the ball down the field, making plays down the field just wasn't our strength. Um, You know, you still have to try it every now and then to keep defenses honest. Um, But you know, you don't want to live in that world when, it's not your strength and you don't quite have the personnel for it. But they did have the tight ends and they were a primary target. And the play you pointed out in the article, it was interesting. Actually, both tight ends were open. He completed it to the one, but he could have gone the other way also. And finally, just in continuing to advance this formation in the uh, 45 seconds or so we have left, Shane, in the Rose Bowl, all of a sudden, he started shifting players all over the place, and Utah seemed just completely befuddled. Yeah, yeah, that's really that's really uh, an aspect of offense as a whole. You don't you don't quite have to do it always out of the diamond, but anytime you can line up in one of your base formations, and obviously in the latter half of the season, the diamond was one of their base formations, something that they lined up in all the time. But anytime you can line up in in a base formation and uh, shift and move, you know, two or three times the defense is going to have a world of trouble in, in trying to adjust to it, especially when you get into some unorthodox alignments like, you know, two tight ends over here, the running back on this side, um, you know, and it's just simple things like that that allow you to, to get a numbers advantage um, and to catch the defense kind of playing on their heels uh, and get an easy eight yards as we saw on the, I think it was the first play of the Rose Bowl there. Fantastic information, Shane. I really appreciate it. We're out of time. If you want to read the full article from Shane, go to fortheblogie.com and also check out all their great videos at For the Bloggy's YouTube channel. That's it for our show today. We'll see you next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, 
local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions' soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com.